I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Steve Haller. How's it going, John? Uh, not quite uh, the, the usual Dan Lyons, but here it's we are. Capable substitute. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Yeah, we have uh, Dan's traveling. So uh, for the second straight week, we have a, a, a sub, but and Andy did a really nice job last week uh, talking about some deep dives on Nike and looking forward to this week uh, talking to Steve about the NFL draft, maybe some Avengers Endgame, uh, some Syracuse Georgetown stuff. Should be a fun one. But Steve, starting off with the NFL draft, how how optimistic are you that that at least one Syracuse player gets picked in this thing? Well, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty much a no brainer that Slayton's going to get picked at some point, or at least you would think it would be. I mean, a big body like that, talent, speed, speed on the inside, he, he's he's a solid prospect. So uh, at least at least one Syracuse player should be guaranteed to be picked up yeah i know i've seen a bunch of like i know originally it seemed like mock drafts were really high on him in the in the fourth fifth round area perhaps i saw one mock had him in a third round at some point which i thought was a bit high yeah i think i, I think i've seen him sliding a little lately i don't know yeah i saw him slide but, out of a few lately which i felt was oh, really? a little weird yeah i thought i thought some of the more recent ones i think the nfl.com one he slid completely out of um, and some of the other like bigger seven round mocks is him slide completely out of. But at the same time, like no matter how much you know, we don't know about the draft. Like once you get past round three, I think there's a yeah. very big variance on like th- that's largely based on team needs, trades, and things you just can't account for with mocks. That like the diff. I mean, and you know this too. Like the the distance between I think player like 100 and player 240 is much smaller than the difference between player one and 100. <laughs> Oh, undoubtedly. And when you look at um, it, you look at round one, you, you know, people get surprised when somebody slides a spot or two. Once you get to round two and three, you're looking at, oh, you know, they dropped 10 spots. OK, whatever. You know, oh, they got picked in round two or, or three instead of two, four instead of three. That happens. But once you get past there, you know, start flipping a coin because, like you said, it's it's literally all if anybody needs something. So it, and a lot of the pro days in that tend to lead to you know them actually getting to know the players a little more too so it's uh at that point you're drafting a lot more on fit than you are on pure talent i guess if that makes sense yeah i think that makes a lot of sense uh i mean i i know and this is a futile exercise in many ways but uh i did pick like a couple teams that i thought chris layton could go to in the five to seven range I thought some teams like you know your buffalo bills 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, d- I don't wish that on anyone, but that's <laughs> that's just personal preference after twenty plus years of a Bills fandom. Fair enough, fair enough. But uh, yeah, also mentioned the Arizona Cardinals, the Colts, uh, Atlanta Falcons, the Patriots potentially. Um, I, I think that that's an area again. Like I've seen a lot of teams linked to him. If I haven't seen, I don't know about you, I haven't seen as much of the like scout talk and, and visits and things like that as I have in the past this year. Um, where yeah, it seems seems to be a little sparse on that end, which is it's kind of weird. Yeah, because you used to see, I feel like this long list of you know player X visited Cincinnati, Carolina, Chicago, the Jets, whatever. And, and, you know, this person came here, like the, like he's seen all these scouts. I feel like it used to be something that was pretty easy to, to assemble as a list um, per player. And I feel like, yeah, this year there was almost nothing, uh, which was just a very odd dynamic. and makes it a little bit tougher, I think, uh, to get a read on where these guys are headed. Uh, that, that said, again, crapshoot in, in, in many cases because of how long this draft is relative to the NBA draft. Usually with the right. NBA draft, if somebody... If somebody's linked to a couple teams in workouts, you're going to say, okay, like, well, that team has, you know, two selections between pick 25 and pick 36 in the in the second round. So if he doesn't go at 25, he's going to go at 36 to them. And if right. he hasn't really worked out for anybody else, he's probably not going to go to anybody else. Yeah, and with, with this, I, I don't know, like you kind of said, I don't know if I've seen as much coverage as I normally would have in general, not even just the, the scouting picks. It's it seems like a weird year for this, which is also odd because it's being televised more than ever before. Right. So is like, are we are we have we, have we reached peak draft curve? <laughs> yeah, where it's like we reach peak curve for the television market, and that's you know completely saturated. But the you know, I guess the print market has already been kind of hitting that downturn that we're not seeing as much uh, immediate feedback and like instant takes on everything. Uh, I don't know. Kind of curious. Kind of, kind of curious where we are because you know personally, I, I love me some NFL draft, but there there was a stretch I think over these past two years where it was just you know you'd turn on one of the uh, the talking heads and it was just left and right and everywhere. Yeah, I, I could certainly. I mean, in general, I, I've cooled on the NFL in recent years, but I think that the the 365 day calendar, the the constant draft talk, mock drafts. I, I do think that we're we're maybe entering, like you said, some sort of like place beyond the curve where like now we're going to start talking reasonable reasonably about these things, even if we're going to have the NFL draft on three different networks this year. But I guess right. focusing a little bit on Slayton before we move on to the next guy, if I had to pick where he's going, I do think the Bills are in a bad spot. <laughs> they wouldn't be a bad. I mean. Outside of the fact that we seem to be where linemen go to die, they, as far as what they need and where where it falls in the draft, it's it's not a bad spot for him to land. And he's local. I mean, yeah, they, by they, playing they, at Syracuse, he knows what to expect from a Buffalo winner, at least. Yeah, and Buffalo, I mean, for all we know, like a lot of times, like scouts will make a big deal about showing up, but for all we know, the Bills might have seen every game of his this year. And right. Just, just, yeah, just showed up at the Dome and at least seen a bunch of them. Uh Bills, as I mentioned in the article this week, uh, the Bills have five picks between rounds five and seven. Uh, so I feel like that's a—I mean, obviously, plenty of trades can happen, but that's a—that's a decent position to be in because if they—if they see 
seem to think that he might come off the board maybe in the sixth round or they don't have something nearby like they have enough picks that they can move around a little bit and get the guys they want and again potentially Slayton is I I think that you're right though as you said in the beginning like Slayton seems like the guy who's definitely getting picked here and I wouldn't doubt it if he's taken um, somewhere around round five which would be our best draft pick in several seasons who who would have been the last above that? I can't even... Can't off the top of my head. However, using the power of Wikipedia, <laughs> I'm going to find out. Yeah, I'm, th- uh, on, I'm thinking... Bromley was... was 2014. Oof. Oh, wow. Brom- yeah, Bromley, yeah, Bromley went in the third round in 2014. That was the, the most recent player before round seven, which is rough. Yeah, about that. I mean, I mean, at the same time, you know, uh, punter you was a thing, so. This is true. Let's see. We, <laughs> although, actually, only one of them got drafted, technically, right? Yeah, Dixon got drafted. Dixon, Dixon wasn't even, like, Franklin went later than Dixon, which I was, which is surprising in hindsight, uh, especially because yeah. of how good Franklin was in his rookie season. Right, and, I mean, yes, Dixon still caught on, but, I and I guess an aside, I still can't comprehend how, a former quarterback from Holland Patton, New York, like just outside where I grew up in the middle of absolutely nowhere, ended up being a, you know, punter for the, he went to CBA and then Syracuse is a punter and out of the NFL. Just seems like a really weird trajectory. And yet I think a fitting one for, for Syracuse punters at this point. I, uh, I'm, I'm down for whichever Syracuse special teamer wants to make the NFL next. I think Hoff actually has a shot. Um, though I do think part of Dixon's appeal was the fact that he could do a couple things like with the football, um, right? If needed, like that yeah, versatility the, on fakes and things like that. Yeah, that ridiculous athleticism on top of everything else was, you know, the the added bonus when you when you see him stiff arm some LSU kids, it's, <laughs> it, it definitely changes your your draft stock, I guess. Now, Steve, when you see him punch an LSU player, not get punished. For it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> also interesting looking at this. Uh, this Wikipedia list. I think six of the last eight players to get picked. Is it six of the last eight? Yeah, I think six of the last eight players, I believe, to get drafted in the NFL. Syracuse players get drafted in the NFL have either been picked by the Giants or were traded to the Giants. Hmm. And, well, I guess the question is, what... Is that all relatively recent? Yes. So okay. So that it wasn't it wasn't due to the Coughlin influence. This is uh, post so, so, some of it was. So okay. Yeah. So like the last eight players to get picked: Nassib to the Giants in round four, uh, Pew to the Giants in round one. You had Bromley to the Giants in 2014 in round three. Uh, Dixon, who was drafted by the Broncos and then traded to the Giants um, last year. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's uh, so. Some pretty, of that's yeah. Some of that's post Coughlin. Pretty crazy to see, though. Just in in general, you know, uh, I, I always joke on the the soccer side that there's the Toronto to SU connection and then back. Um, seems like every soccer player in the Toronto area comes down, plays for SU, and then goes back to play for TFC. Uh, it seems to be similar case here, where anybody who leaves the uh, football program decides to go. You know, four hours downstate. Yeah, I mean, the Coughlin connection was part of it, but like, if you look at the, I know I had this like trivia question thing I was doing on the fan posts this week. Oh yeah, yeah, Giants completely missed those. So I'm not gonna lie. All good. That's <laughs> I, honestly like the only like 
there's a small group that participates in every trivia question and then everybody else is like kind of misses them because the fan posts are like kind of buried over there at this point yeah but yeah giants out of current out of franchises if you're looking at just like where they you're looking at just city and nicknames so like separating out like the baltimore cults and indianapolis cults as separate franchises in this case uh the new york giants have drafted more syracuse players than anybody else 18 in total wow. since the yeah, since the nfl draft started Colts are well the baltimore Colts are second with 15 cleveland browns are third with 11 washington is fourth with 10 and then the eagles dolphins and steelers have nine apiece well yeah that's uh i i pulled up the list for myself as well and when people don't realize the dark times and what they've been when you look at it in the past well since 2003 there's been a total of two draft picks above round three, and both of them were offensive linemen. That's, you know, what, 16 years now? <laughs> and we haven't been able to produce any talent outside of Adam Terry and Justin Pugh that have uh, been worthy of a top-two-round selection. Well, uh, Chandler Jones in there, too. He was uh, out. Yeah, missed that. All good. Minor detail. <laughs> okay, so everybody we're, was we're, we're not we're not we'll fact from yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we we've never claimed to be the most fact based program. Fair enough. No, it's a it's a weird one, and I I mean I hate to say it, but like we've kind of pointed out, I don't think anyone's going to be uh, broaching that subject uh, and moving into the first or second round this year. So it seems like Slayton, and then I guess your next highest would be Custis. Custis is probably the next guy, and I think that's where we'll head next. I think I've seen a lot of drafts take him like very, very late in the seventh. I saw one draft pick him as Mr. Irrelevant. Oh, hey, at least they have something going for him there. Yeah. I, uh, some teams that I mentioned that could pick him, Bills, the Cowboys, Packers, Vikings, Lions, um, teams that could use some wide receivers, I think my... Uh, my well sort of my at this point I, I i've almost boycotted the nfl completely my quote-unquote new york giants would be another team that could potentially look at him i mean i think custis gets picked and, and i know a lot of fans like like strictly college fans are still like very very confused about how custis could get picked instead of Etatawo, instead of uh ishmael right. and, instead of phillips and and, and as, as much as the basketball concept yeah though. like it is when you're drafting you draft on potential yeah and you can get a lot more out of a guy who is a big strong possession guy that can you know go up and get a ball compared to a great route runner i mean not everyone's going to be marvin harrison like there's <laughs> you need a big target that <clears throat> that even can go downfield when you need him to yeah, and I mean, I, I, I do think, like, not to hammer Custis, I, and I said this in his, like, NFL draft preview that I wrote, he didn't always go up and use his physicality correctly and didn't always go up and get balls and was outgunned by smaller defensive backs, a decent amount. But that said, like, the, the player we saw senior year, I think if he had showed up around sophomore year, like, right. we, we have a very different story. Like, Custis, you know, shed 10 to 12 pounds before senior year. He, he, he worked on, you know, picking up speed. Like, he ran a four five forty at the Combine. Like, that's... Yeah, that's... that's, that's for damn, someone his size, that's damn good. <laughs> yeah, that's damn good. The fact that he had, what? He had the largest hands of the entire wide receiver group. Yep. Like, yeah. Like, you, you can't teach those things. But you can teach the other stuff. Like, like no, no, you can't teach someone to go from, like, an okay route runner to the best route runner. But you can right. teach someone to be a capable route runner. You cannot teach 
large hands. You cannot teach leaping ability. You cannot teach six four size. Like th- those are things yeah. that yeah, the, 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 it's going to be very very difficult. You know, to, to coax yeah, out gets, of a guy. He gets a wide receiver coach that teaches him how to you know put that shoulder in or you know where to. Uh, maybe on the half turn for that dig route that he's running, you know, get that extra little um, way to make space. Uh, it's going to make a lot of difference compared to what he, what we were seeing, you know, ju- freshman, junior, sophomore year. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you look at just, and two, I feel like with him, like, I feel like at a Tau got knocked because he had one year of production. I, I feel like, you know, Ishmael got knocked a little bit because, the production really only spiked once the couple like options were were away from like the depth chart, but yep. I, I like I don't buy into those. And with Custis, I think people are actually not using that as a criticism as much as they're just seeing because he didn't have eye popping numbers. They're just seeing the fact that he was finally able to stay healthy, finally able to put his his physical gifts to good use. So I I think that it depends on the rankings you see. I mean, there's some rankings lists that have Custis like outside the top thirty or so receivers, and if that's the case, then like sure, I don't think he gets picked. If you believe if you believe in again that that you know NBA draft type like potential theory and and, and looking at the things that you can't coach like like physical size, I I think that somebody takes a flyer on him. Um, in the seventh round. If not, he's going to be probably one of the more sought-after um, undrafted free agents because, and and maybe to his you know benefit because then he'll be able to pick a place that, and maybe it's like Jacksonville or somewhere else where, oh, hey, like these guys don't have a ton of like established receivers. They could use some help. Um, I can put myself in a situation where I can work myself onto a depth chart much more easily here versus a team that's you know already got seven solid players. Uh, something else we didn't get even get into with him um, is, is his special teams prowess, and he was one of the nation's best gunners this past year. Yeah, and that's I mean that's a huge part, especially late rounds for some of these you know fringe draft picks. If you can come in and you know you don't have to be a Steve Tasker, but you can and yes, that's a that's an old school Bills reference right there. But uh, you you add that much value to your stock when you can actually go out and produce like that. It it really changes how a team can look at you. Yeah, I think that versatility, like we mentioned too, with Dixon is key. Like it's not the exact same conversation, but there is a conversation of like, well, like this guy knows exactly what he's doing on special teams. He's made some really big plays. Um, as a special teamer over the years, he's somebody who we can use in a few spots. And yeah, like in, in the NFL, where, where where the spots are limited, uh, you know, and they're certainly much more limited than they are in college. Like, you really need to be able to to maximize what you can get out of your roster. And if and if using a a, a roster spot on a receiver also means that you get you know a, a, a B plus A minus special teamer to go with that. Yeah, right. you, you'd rather have him than somebody who can only play linebacker, who can only play safety, who can only play wide receiver and nothing else. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a an easy choice for someone to pick up as an undrafted free agent if he doesn't go. Getting that last roster spot, let's try that again, last roster spot filled in with someone who has that versatility but also has that upside it it should should work to his advantage at least completely agree um another person who could potentially be looking at some final roster spot chatter will probably be i mean i would be shocked if he wasn't an undrafted free agent um eric dungy somebody who uh, i feel like a lot of syracuse fans versatility yeah (laughs) okay he's a running back but (laughs) he's 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 a fragile running back or 
or, 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 yeah. he's a, or he's a very ballsy quarterback, or he's a terrifying wide receiver in the not-so-positive sense, or he's an undersized tight end, or he's, he's a linebacker. Like the, <laughs> I, I guess it's the anti-versatility. Yeah. He's... Like, every every possible thing that he brings to the table is, like, it, he's extremely athletic, he's extremely... Uh, like things are very, I guess. I guess there's a lot of upside to a lot of his attributes, but for every place they could possibly put him that isn't quarterback, he's going to get the crap knocked out of him and right. probably end up on the sideline again. <laughs> yeah, I, I and, and that's not to wish ill on him, obviously, but like you, it's you, just history, man. Yeah, it's, it's just history. <laughs> yeah, it's it's history. It's a play style too. Like you know, like like. I, I think if anyone was concerned about him, unfortunately, the first thing they're going to do if they're if they're interviewing him, if they talk to him, is is, is pull up the Syracuse.com article about him being, you know, a, a, an adrenaline junkie, and yeah. be like, "Hey, man, just just curious, like, how much does this educate your play style? Because <laughs> it seemed like it did a lot, and just want to know if that's still in your in your your, your headspace or if you're kind of past this this uh, this part of your life." Well, and weren't there a couple of quotes from the Schaefer era where he basically said, yeah, we've tried to tell Eric to do other things, yeah. and he just he's doing what Eric does? There, there have been quotes in the Babers era that said the same thing. Of like, <laughs> you're, you're, like, you're not going to tell him not to run. Like, you're not? Right. Like, like So coachability, that's a minus. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah like, well, like health, well, uh, got some bad news there. Um, yep. Uh, if you really and, and you and I were, were two people that definitely brought this up and some other people did during the season like Eric didn't necessarily yeah, like, like following rules wasn't necessarily his thing you saw him definitely pretty animated on the sidelines like in and, oh, and, and, yeah, and, and not to like NFLitize this entire like evaluation process but like he definitely like had some things to say w- w- when it came to whether he should be on the field or not and I think that, like, I don't think that disqualifies you from from having an NFL career or being on on, on the field at all. But I think that that that's something that NFL scouts will end up looking at. I think that you know his his desire to really to almost yeah magnetism toward taking hits um, it becomes something that you get a little concerned about. I think the fact that, admittedly, a lot of his production came from from improvisation. I think that's good in some regards, but I think. I don't think we ever saw Eric really run an offense. I think we saw him run Eric's offense, and I think that that's going to be a little bit of a knock when, when, you, when you're looking at his numbers and you're looking at his production um, and his ability to lead a team going forward. Well, and, I mean, it, Eric running Eric's offense is a distinct recipe to have an outside linebacker put something through your ear hole in the NFL. Like, there's... <laughs> you you take that extra step like he would in college, and it's just not the right choice. You know, not sliding, not doing anything that protects yourself. You know, nobody wants to take a flyer on a kid that's going to be healthy for a year or someone that, you know, uh, they they don't know whether he's going to actually listen to what play they're calling. It's, it's just not a great place to be. Yeah, I, I think a lot of... A lot of the Taysom Hill comparisons are coming in, and and, and usually I, I'd say something like this is lazy, but I actually think it's really the only way he makes a roster. 
as if a team decides to roll the dice on a situation where, oh, we have a, a very static kind of pro-style quarterback who's going to sit in the pocket. Let's mix it up with, with, with somebody else. You know, like, like Hill was utilized by the Saints this year, uh, like Lamar Jackson was used until he seemed to, until he won the starting job from Joe Flacco. Um, right. Yeah, the, the, this seems like his best avenue. And so like a team like the Bengals or the Chargers, I mentioned the Raiders on there because he seems like a Gruden type of guy. Just, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's definitely a Gruden type of guy. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like Gruden, Gruden sits around watching his tape like for fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that uh, it's funny because actually, you know, segueing that into our current QB who had some some time with Gruden, it's a it's a really odd dichotomy of what, you know, taking this away from the NFL draft, what we're going to be looking at next year. And after watching the spring game, what what we should be seeing from DeVito compared to what we've seen for these four years with Dungy. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I, I think I, I'm really, really curious. I mean, you I mean. I, if you have any other things to share on the spring game, because I know like you, you had a great article about it. Obviously, like I, I'm very curious. I think a lot of other people are too to see Devito in action because it's going to be such a jarring difference uh, from what we've really had a quarterback in a while. And that's no knock on guys like Ryan Nassib even who got drafted. It's it, it's just a, a statement of fact that like Devito's coming in as the most hyped quarterback since maybe McNabb. Uh, for, for, from a scouting standpoint, he's he's incredibly polished. He's he's. I mean, I saw him when he was a you know rising junior, or sorry, rising senior at the uh, at the Elite Eleven like regional out here, and and he looked like one of the most polished guys there. He had arm strength to beat just about everybody else on the field. I think Tua was the only guy who looked. No, sorry, it was yeah, it was Tua. Tua was the only guy there who was a high school player who looked even like remotely better and, and and more equipped i mean deshaun watson also showed up so he was able to <laughs> was able to, to to play a little bit better but right yeah n- n- nonetheless I like mean, and and those names you just said are some pretty darn good company to put right. him in with i mean that's who he was being compared to in high school and watching him in the spring game it was it was one of those where even if i lost track of whether it was the first second or third team offense um like no offense to welch and rex and I, I can't remember. I know you and I were talking in some comments at one point about the the drop off, and it, it is drastic. Like watching that spring game, there's no one B. Like Welch and Culpepper will be decent enough, but we have one A and one A, and that's that. Devito looks that good. Um, any of us uh, crazy idiots that when Babers was hired, watched that Bowling Green game. Uh, the the bowl game that he was still coaching while he was named. Oh yeah, the to, Mac uh, the Mac title game. Or oh, was it the Mac title game? Yeah, I I remember I did a play calling breakdown from that game. Yeah, yeah, I, I knew I wasn't the only idiot that watched <laughs> it. Um, it it looked a lot closer to that offense than what we've seen under Eric, and that's no knock on Dungey at all. But it's 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 a distinctly different look to the offense when you have a true pocket passer that is sitting in there and actually going through his progressions and working through his reads and going through what the offense is supposed to look like. And people are going to be very surprised in the fall, especially with another half year under his belt of, you know, Dino's tutelage of what we're going to see out of this kid. And I, I hate to drive the hype train, but the hype train is real. So, I mean, people should be at least a little convinced after last year. Like you put aside the Notre Dame game, like, 
you, I mean, yeah. the Notre Dame game and 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 the weird spot against Western Michigan, like the the Florida State game, the North Carolina games, I think speak for themselves. Right. Yeah, and they. I mean that that's your that's your audition right there, and he performed admirably. So outside of the like you said the getting thrown to the wolves and then yeah he anytime he was called upon for the most part he he looked comfortable except when it wasn't something that they needed to transition to him i was trying to explain that to some people last year is anytime eric got hurt and he was thrown in there the offense that was run was for the rest of the team's sake still what they would have called for eric right when you don't know when you know a player's not coming back in you can change the play calling to whoever is coming in, but you're not going to mix it up completely and then try and force it back into a different rhythm. So it it'll be it'll be a good um, a good comparison to see see them live and I guess what is it end of August last last week yeah, in August this last, year? yeah last weekend in August I'm a, I'm I mean Dan and I've been talking about this since Devito got on campus like it was never a knock on Dungey but it was always like. DeVito's going to run Babers' offense. Dungy ran right. Dungy's offense that was influenced by Babers' offense. And, like, the, the, you, both players can, can be successful doing yeah. that. Oh. But, but one of those things is just going to look better than the other. Right. They can both be phenomenal quarterbacks. Yeah. It's just they're two distinctly different quarterbacks. Right. And, and one's going to look as intended, and the other one is going to look sort of like as as you wish i guess right <laughs> like well, yeah where 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 there's going to be a concerted like at the end of the day eric dungy did what eric dungy does and th- that that sounds stupid but 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 it's true and in this case like tommy devito is going to do what dino babers largely tells him to and and this offense is going to look like it's like like whatever happens in this offense is going to look like it was it was planned that way and it was written up that way and, and then that's going to be the surprising part for Syracuse fans who who haven't really seen that since. I mean, Perry Patterson's career went exactly as planned. It's just that <laughs> that plan was very flawed. Uh, wow, <laughs> wow, deep cuts. Got some Joe Fields in there too, or <laughs> Joe Fields? I don't know if Joe Fields' career went the way that 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 it was uh, it was drawn. <laughs> Perry's was definitely totally did. totally intended to be a safety. So. <laughs> Yeah, so the, no. the, therein lies the problem, I suppose. But yeah, like even like 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 Greg Paulus was completely like an ad hoc. Like that that first play for Greg Paulus sums up the entire year. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. Although at the same time, like I I, I I've rarely enjoyed. I actually have, for for any team I've rooted for, I've never enjoyed a losing season more. Yeah, I'll give you that. That was because uh, you, you saw it, the it building been blocks. much worse there. Yeah, exactly. And like we didn't have like there wasn't the moment like the the moment quote unquote happened in the last game so it wasn't like you know the Virginia Tech upset or the Clemson upset where like you you, you know the wheels start turning about what this can be the wheels started turning there about what it can be next year because it happened late and and and, you, and the season was done effectively already so beating a I mean admittedly overrated Rutgers team at the dome to wrap up you know my tenure at least at SU was 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 entertaining but it was also like again a different type of hope that gave hope going into an off season versus giving hope going into you know week 6 yeah what uh, what year was that was yeah the i think it was november somewhere in the november tw- probably 15th time range of 2009 
Yeah. Yeah. See, unfortunately, I was off campus uh, 2008 in December. So all I got was the wonderfulness of Greg and Greg and Greg. Finally, finally, we, we, we get to the root of, of someone that suffered more than I did. Yeah. Cynicism is a, a wonderful thing. If you're a Bills fan your entire life and then you go to the Greg Robinson era when you're up at uh, ESF for two years, that's that's rough. Hey, Met, you know, as, as, as a Mets, Knicks, and Syracuse fan, I, uh, yep. I, I know cynicism very, very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Sabres don't help me much either, but, you know, they, they at least had a, a spike in the early 2000s, much like Syracuse. So, yeah, I guess uh, now that I've completely derailed us. Yeah, um, that's, that's what this <laughs> podcast is all about, Steve. Yeah, you know, bounce all over the place, but uh, the rest of the guys... Um, you've got a couple of big bodies that probably probably at least get a shot somewhere. I don't see either of them making their way onto the uh, onto the draft boards, but um, Cody Conway and Coda Martin are two tackles from last year, both effectively solid prospects. I saw Martin on a draft somewhere. board. I, I saw him pick up some steam recently, but uh, he hadn't really been flying anywhere uh for a long time so i don't know if some personal workouts have helped out or something might have might have bumped him up but both of them are you know they're very solid pass blockers that have a small weakness in the run game and in the right situation they could they could be okay you know teams that don't rely too much on the run or run a heavy draw offense with some decent passing they could at least fit in somewhere with so whether it's second in the depth chart somewhere or i don't even know even practice squad they'll probably get picked up in general somewhere oh yeah they'll definitely be yeah well they'll definitely be somewhere i mean and no offense to like guys like michael lasker and, and, and and others but like i think conway and martin are better prospects uh i mean granted lasker was also an enormous individual which certainly helps, but but I think in general, like having Martin and Conway be, I think more polished offensive line prospects than a lot of the guys recently that have at least caught on during you know like summer training camps. Yeah, and both of them, both of the the current guys seem to, you know, uh, I think I wrote in the preview for Conway that he put on ten pounds yeah. since since the end of the season, but actually it seems seems did it right so. Um, you know, put on a little of that size that you're going to need in the NFL, as opposed to in a, a Bears offense that's very, you know, pass pro heavy, where you're looking at, I, I mean, kick step and pass block. And from the tackle standpoint, you're you're going to want a tall, lean, quick, someone who can respond to these fast DNs. So we'll we'll see if that really impacted him that much or how it changed his style. I know, you know, adding adding or subtracting adding or subtracting weight to an offensive lineman can drastically change their ability. So we'll see what happens there. Agreed. Uh, Why don't we take a quick break, talk to our sponsor. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
And we're back. Uh, Steve, we're going to talk a little about beer. Obviously, uh, you're, you're well familiar with both this part of the podcast and also beer. So this shouldn't really be any different than normal around here. No, it comes in handy. <laughs> so uh, what have you been drinking? Recently, actually, currently, a fiddlehead from, or a second fiddle from Fiddlehead Brewing Company up in Burlington. They actually just started distributing to New York. So being able to pick these up as shelfies is a absolute joy. And uh, other than that, this week, I think uh, Two Roads and someone else did a collab called Geyser Goze, which was a uh, absolutely wonderful Goza that uh, they put out. Oh, Evil Twin. That's who it was. Um, so Two Roads from Connecticut, Evil Twin from Down in the City uh, did a collab and put out an absolutely fantastic Goza. So those have, uh, that's been kind of the, the two highlights lately. Fair enough. Yeah, I know you, uh, you like me, are also uh, about that dad life, so that means not, not as much of a varied selection and more of a, a, a home consumption focus much of the time. Oh, yeah, my, my, my bottle shop has definitely become the uh, go-to instead of the bar now. So. <laughs> Fair Although enough. Although working, uh, working at Sundays, I bartend over at our uh, local soccer bar here, uh, Wolfsburg Garden, that, you know... Uh, the, the German standbys are always always solid standbys, but when you bartend from 7 in the morning to noon, it's it's not really much of a drinking shift. So Yeah, I, I don't blame you there. Um, some selections for me. Um, hit up a new spot up in El Segundo, uh, Three Chiefs Brewing, uh, near uh, Hopadai IPA. was uh, like kind of like a hybrid like West Coast uh, New England IPA. thought it was pretty nice for the most part. Had... Oh, I had um, Sierra Nevada's, uh, their Trip in the Woods series. I had the Tequila Barrel Age, uh, Otrevez, their, uh, their Goza. It was super good. You could really taste the tequila in there. Big, big fan of that. Um, picked up a four-pack of uh, Beachwood's uh, Simcoast Coast. as a Simcoe-focused IPA. Uh, West Coast, obviously, my preference. Also had a uh, Monkish Float Like Gravity, uh, triple IPA from them. I know I, uh, I do... I love Monkish. I do have some some New England IPA slander to throw around here and there. But, <laughs> they're uh, all they're all becoming the same now. Th- th- yeah, it's 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 yeah. New, New England IPAs are now getting familiar with the dynamic that um, you'll hear my daughter in the background as we speak. Um, <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. Thankfully, my son's asleep currently. So time, time thanks zones. East. Yeah, East Coast is a wonderful thing. <laughs> time zones do help there. Um, but yeah, so Float Like Gravity is their uh, recently released triple IPA. A buddy of mine grabbed a uh, grabbed a can for me from one of their recent releases. Super, super good. Uh, I actually like their triples. I've had a couple of theirs more than their doubles. I feel like some of their doubles get a little too um, acidic at the end, a little too juicy. And I feel like triples, on the other hand, like this one drank super smooth for what it is. I like the ABV hmm. on this sucker quick. We got to get you back in the trading game, then. I know. Uh, <laughs> I'll send you some stuff from out here. Ten point three percent, and and that drank Ooh. drank closer to like seven point five. That was uh, we actually just got the uh, Lagunitas Waldos drop out here. Oh. And yeah, my buddy picked up one and brought it over the other night, and um, I mean for a triple, like if you want a stock dank West Coast triple, there is nothing that touches that. Like for the. If you're looking for exactly what the style is looking for, it's it's about where you are. So that was that was also quite delicious. Yeah, I mean, I, I love me a West Coast IPA. It's really just clean, it's fresh. As long as it's like within a month or so of the release date, like definitely uh, definitely up my alley. Also had to end us off 
a uh, high west barrel aged victory at sea those are always, always a classic yeah always those, a classic those sit around on our shelves now yeah i saw I, I actually wegmans had some sitting around on the shelf and i was like uh okay i'm just gonna grab these thanks yeah there's I a did lot out i grabbed one in a mix and match six pack that someone must have missed inadvertently put over in that department so that was a real nice value we don't focus much on basketball in the offseason but it was notable that syracuse and georgetown renewed their series for another four years so they'll meet this december down in dc on december 14th um and then tbd dates in 2020 21 and 22 this seems like it's jim Beheim's doing but at the same time there's a lot of alum demand and there's a lot of like older fan demand i feel like anyone who you know if you went to syracuse or esf or, or colleges nearby i feel like you if you graduated before 2015 there's probably still a pretty high demand for this that seems right yeah the uh i mean i grew up in the area well the area up in the adirondacks and basically even like i wasn't the seminal 1980s syracuse basketball fan 96 was what really solidified it for me and uh over at my buddy's house watching that final four and that kind of was like okay i'm now a syracuse fan but even then you're just instilled upon the fact that georgetown still sucks no matter what so i on the surface it screamed okay this is a phenomenal move um I don't know in the grand scheme of things what we really gain from it outside of, like you said, that name recognition for some of the fan base. From an actual basketball standpoint, an actual resume standpoint, who knows moving forward if it might even be a detriment. I don't know. It's it's going to be a weird, weird situation. And the I guess the, the basketball gods are going to have their way with whatever happens there. It's watching Georgetown where they are. And I guess they're kind of rising again. But the fall was just almost hard to watch. Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, granted, I, I you, you couldn't pay me to watch a Georgetown game that didn't involve Syracuse, especially now that we're not in the same conference. But Agreed. Yeah, I, I think that they're, they're getting better. They are, they are still a laughing stock, but they are getting better as a program. Patrick Ewing seems to be turning things around, uh, albeit a little slowly. Uh, last year's embarrassment of a non-conference schedule ended up being a precursor to a sort of okay, you know, Big East run, and they ended up in the NIT. They were, you know, lost to Harvard as a result because that's what happens when they're a favored seed. Um, this, oh, yeah. Up, yeah, the, this oh, and, and, and that'll keep happening to them, as is tradition. Georgetown's next year non-conference slate, though, is pretty damn good. Syracuse, Oklahoma State, a team that could be, appear on Syracuse's schedule as well. Big Ten team, depending on uh, how the uh, Gavit Classic games go. Um, yep. SMU, and then they're playing the Empire Classic, which will include two of Duke, Texas, and Cal. So if yes. Cal wants to get right back in this against the Hoyas, they can feel free. Um, I was I was wondering whether that was going to come. It was, it was, it was <laughs> a, a, absolutely. It was, it was just out. an inevitability at this point. Yeah, it's it it's it become. I, I feel like Sean regrets it now. One hundred percent. But that that's what makes it even better. <laughs> I, I I would definitely agree. But yeah, this uh, slate's much better for them. So that's good. They could potentially look better computer numbers wise. I think they could challenge for you know an at large bid next year. And and you know having a game on the road is fine. 
I, I think that for us, you know, we're, we're not, we, we've, we've changed things over the last five years to be a little more willing to go on the road, to play a few more neutral site games. I know I've said this before on the blog. I think, you know, the, the schedule now for the next at least four years with a 20-game ACC schedule uh, will include Georgetown, either home or, or away, the ACC Big Ten game. Uh, that's either going to be home or away. I think that'll probably alternate with Georgetown so that we don't end up with two road or two home um, in one season. And the ACC seems like to this point that they've been pretty accommodating there. I think beyond that, you're looking at Cornell uh, every year for at least the uh, the end of uh, Jimmy's run down there. Why would that be? <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Jim has any influence on these schedules. Yeah, uh, as evidenced by the Georgetown game that just showed right. up literally, like, and he was was and he was the the outward source um, of the conversation with John Rothstein on the original uh, reporting. We'll also face uh, Bucknell as part of the uh, preseason NIT. That'll be one of the on-campus games. They'll add another one on top of that that we have no control of, um, and then we'll also have two of Penn State, Ole Miss, Oklahoma State. So while those last few opponents will change every year that makes up it's a pretty like good bulk of it yeah th- yeah that's five or six that's i think five games yeah that's well that right now that's five games another team on top of bucknell will be six so six games will pretty much be accounted for every year and then you'll add another five in there and that's where you know kip wellman's gonna work his magic yep and i i'm fine with it i i think that you know, Bayheim's comments to Syracuse.com last week about the schedule construction um, were, were probably the most telling. You know, talking about that because we had two ACC games, we'd probably drop at least one of those, like, ODU Buffalo-level teams. Yeah. And I guess, like you uh, I can't remember. Oh, you might have said something in Slack. Um, the the thing that, that gets replaced with is a away game at Georgetown. And inherently, if we're away at Georgetown, you know, we hypothetically lose that. It doesn't really hurt us nearly as much as losing to ODU or Buffalo at home. Right. And and th- that's where I think, like, th- this is still smart scheduling. This still works for Syracuse. I mean, realistically, if we improve the way we're supposed to, maybe not this season, but at some point. Well, you know. Yeah. If, if you get out of that bubble type space, then this doesn't become an issue anymore. And, and it's more a seeding question of whether you're seeded fourth or fifth than, you know, whether you make the tournament or not. Uh, I, I think in general, like, and Dan and I have talked about this before too, and I've, I've mentioned it in blog posts in the past, like the 20 game schedule screws us in some ways because it does take away, like Syracuse's budget for travel is greatly increased versus pretty much every other ACC school because of the distance. Pittsburgh and, and BC are the only two even close by um, schools. There's a lot more travel down to the Carolinas and, and, and Georgia and Florida and things like that. But like the Carolina schools obviously have the least amount of travel um, in the conference because they get to have, you know, at least three drive games a year, if not more. And, and that certainly helps. So I think realistically, like SU shouldn't and, and, and won't go on the road more than they absolutely need to because you need those uh, home dates, you need those gate receipts um, to help you out as much as possible. So well, yeah, you can't pay for the carrier dome renovations without them. So Exactly. Like, like, yeah, at this point, like, you can actually see, like, a direct line between, like, okay, well, like, if we want the dome renovations done by this date and with these things included, and I know, I, I noticed in recent comments that the uh, air-conditioned thing is now, like, being mentioned as more of a, yeah, that'll probably happen. Right, and, you know, that might be something that we add on in the future type, uh, yeah, yeah, that'll be, 
it'll be interesting. Because yeah, I, I feel like I feel like ductwork wise, like I'm no expert, but but I I feel like that might not be a small lift. No, no, you might have to build that in when you're doing everything. But I'm not an HVAC guy. Also, uh, the irony of trying to do everything we can to lose the carrier name, but then adding do we, <laughs> do we put in carrier air conditioners? De- def- almost definitely not, because there's no way in hell that, that SU would be able to ditch the carrier name at that point. Yeah, no, not at all. The Amana Dome, thanks. I, I couldn't even name three air conditioning companies, to be Just honest. had to buy one. <laughs> we, uh... We don't really do air conditioning in the beach cities around here. Well, you also can just open a window and it's 70 and moderated. Usually, because of global warming, uh, we do have probably like 10 to 15 like oppressively hot days a year now. Oh. So it's it's a consideration set uh, that we might need an AC, but it also gets much colder than it used to, um, at least in the evening, where you're dealing with some nights. You're probably dealing with a couple to two to three weeks where it's like 45 at night uh it was 45 during the during day, the day. yeah we don't deal with that <laughs> but yeah, yeah that we, was our, uh, our high was like 48 to 50 today so uh you know we're still working out of that i think it's 72 here <laughs> just rub it in man just rub it in this just is the usual weather update from california um Steve, with the last few minutes we have talk a little bit about endgame don't want to go like too far down the rabbit hole but if there was one thing that you definitely expect to happen um, in Avengers Endgame, and sorry to non-comic book people or, or MCU people uh, that are listening, uh, we are going to talk about this for a few minutes at least because the movie comes out officially on Thursday. I know Steve's seeing it this weekend. I'm seeing it on Monday. So by the next episode, we will have both seen it. Hopefully Dan sees it, but who knows. Um, so Steve, what would be the one thing that you definitely expect to happen in this movie? Definitely expect to happen? Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a loaded question. Um, it, 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 it can be yeah. it can be minor. I mean, in all honesty, like I mentioned earlier, as long as Korg and Meek are in Endgame, <laughs> I have a happy man. And, and it seems like they will be, since they included uh, what's it called, like Twitter hashtags for them. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I I don't know why since Ragnarok, and I mean I'm I go farther back into the the, the comic nerddom too. But, uh, like, they did it right, and Taika Waititi playing Korg in Thor Ragnarok, which he directed, was just, you know, it's a win-win. And for him to reprise the role should be uh, quite hilarious. He's always at least good for some comic relief, so. Yeah, I think we'll see him briefly. Um, I honestly, like, I know they made, like, it seems like they made a little bit of a bigger deal about Valkyrie's inclusion. I don't really know how much he's going to be involved yeah, it might have. It's it's weird. It might just be someone else they needed to fill on the poster. I don't really know where where she'll fit in. Like uh, Okoye, I can definitely see. You know, in in the absence of uh, anybody else from Wakanda still being alive. So, like, I mean, Mbaku is still there. What's that? Oh, Mbaku is. Yeah. But like, yeah, like that's the thing. Like, I what what I'm very curious about is like how you tie all these like disparate like and loose ends because like you have the people from wakanda that are still in wakanda i would assume because i haven't seen them in any preview uh stuff to date you have you know the core avengers who are all back at hq you have tony and nebula who you know we're getting back uh in the the first 20 to 25 minutes of the movie you have captain marvel who shows up seen has been in the first 25 minutes right right 
or for the most like part, that. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't necessarily, I don't, I wouldn't take them completely at face, but I, I would take them at face to some extent. I, so yeah, I, I think that knowing that, knowing the Captain Marvel shows up pretty much immediately, and then you have the, the the factor on top of that of like, okay, so now you also need to figure out how a you have to explain where the uh, the Asgardian refugees have been. Like, like Meek and Korg and, and uh, Valkyrie. You have to explain right. where they've been. Then you have to get them to where everybody else is. On top of that. Some, you might have some Game of Thrones Season 7 type uh, people just showing up places type uh, situation. You know, speed travel. You get, you get three hours. That's true. So we, we got plenty of time to explain these things. but uh, I, I keep regretting that 10 o'clock showing decision too. Every <laughs> single time. I, I picked 8 o'clock on this one because I figured there was no way I would be able to go any later. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do on Friday for work, but we'll figure it out. I think for me, I'll be out of the theater by 11.30. Hopefully that is enough time to just drive back home for all of five minutes and then go to bed. Yeah, we here have, um, they just opened up a movie tavern in Syracuse uh, probably about a year and a half, two years ago. So the... Um, the, the stock uh, comfy recliners and they can give you beer and food at your seat and all that and uh, that's like a mile and a half from my house nice. so that's uh, it's a lot better usually we end up going to the IMAX which is over at uh, Carousel or Destiny and uh, it's a bit a little bit more of a haul but I'll uh, I'll take the the close one for this one yeah we uh we have the AMC dine-in unfortunately it's like a bad one. But like we have an AMC dine-in like less than a mile from me, so that that does make it a little bit easier. But yeah, the uh, the, the usual recliner situation. The food takes forty-five minutes for reasons unknown. Always um, guaranteed. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. But you I'll, I'll, you won't get to eat till halfway through the movie, no matter what movie it is. So it might take an hour and a half this time. Ugh. Well, <laughs> luckily luckily it's eight, so I'm gonna eat beforehand. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, but to avoid complaining anymore about uh, about movies, I mean, AMC, if you want to sponsor us, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> if there's one character that you think will die, and you don't have to like commit yourself to this, there's one character you think will die, who would that be? I don't know why, but I, I would have to say Tony. I think Stark goes down. I think they go with the big gun. I think that that's, I think that's one of the probably three most likely. But at the same um, time, he's been trying to sell it so much that I almost wonder if, you know, in standard Robert Downey Jr. fashion, he's just pushing it. I don't know. It's a weird one. See, I, I, I think it's Cap. Yeah. I think Captain America has to die, and I think that then, like, you know, Bucky or Sam takes over the mantle. I think, I think actually, like, if we're going to tip, I think Bucky's the more likely, if only because, like, we haven't really, we, we've definitely come off the Winter Soldier branding. Yep. In recent movies, and while like I mean, in, I think for all of them, like Marvel's done a really interesting job, like really not referring to them as their superhero names, right? <laughs> like by well, and large, but... yeah, they've they've done a pretty solid outside of you know Vision, who has no other name, um, using their their actual names for it. It's, it's been one of the weird things for the MCU that they've done phenomenally, and painting them as real people. Who Bucky Barnes is versus just Winter Soldier, right? Yeah, I, I think it's been an interesting element. I think that, I mean, they, they've rarely referred to Sam as Falcon. Right, right. Two, so, like, it could be either of them, and there's obviously the source material to back that up. Yeah. That, that one of them takes up the mantle. I wouldn't doubt it if, if that happens. 
um, that we start to see a little bit of replacement happening. If they did cast a Kate Bishop type to take over Hawkeye, I think that's an, another another inco- inconsequential death, but one that probably happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you want to hear my crazy, uh, crazy pants on head uh, fan theory, uh, Stark dies. Shuri ends up taking over the Iron Man suit as Ironheart. Which oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in hard on that. in the uh, the comics lately, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm all in on that. I saw the uh, I forgot where it was today, but the writer, the main writer on uh, on Ironheart, had like an interview today that I like missed. Hmm. Like I, I saw it come up, and then I like didn't. Re- I forgot to click, and then like other things came up. But I right. definitely that's something I need to read. That'll be uh, if if that ends up happening, and they just just released or actually today. Uh, or no, last week was um, the start of a actual Shuri run of uh, comics, so we'll see where that goes. Color me very curious. Yeah, it's not on my pull list, but uh, very few things are nowadays, seeing I have a child. Same, same. Steve, I think this has been uh, been a lot of fun, so uh, why don't we close it out here? Anything else you want to add before we uh, before we drop off? No, I am going to do a, a, a shameless plug in here for my other podcast, if any of do you it. guys want to... Uh, Listen to two folks from Syracuse talk about uh, ACC soccer and soccer in general. Uh, the No Stoppage podcast. My buddy Tom Babcock and I do uh, a weekly rundown of soccer in general, anything that's happened, and then focus on something tied into college soccer or the ACC. So um, we've been putting that out Monday nights. It'll show up in your feed Tuesday morning, and it's always a good listen. Yeah, I've uh, listened to an episode or two. I would highly endorse it. Uh, if you're a big fan of soccer, if you're sort of a fan of soccer, if you want to know more about soccer, it's it's a nice gateway to, with something you sort of know, Syracuse um, and the ACC, uh, to get to know something you might not know as much about, uh, which is soccer. Yeah, and it's, I mean, we're in the, literally the premier conference for soccer in all of college. So if you go to see an ACC game, at, well, let's put it this way. We were under 500. Syracuse was well under 500 in the ACC this year. We were a six seed in the tournament. We think we were 16 overall, so four seed in the tournament. Yeah, not uh, not too bad of a conference. Feel free to take a listen, and we'll keep putting episodes out for you. Again, a ring endorsement from one of your hosts as well. Um, so that was Steve. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on wherever else you listen to us. Be sure to watch Syracuse lacrosse on the men's and women's side this weekend as they try to win the ACC. And uh, go Orange!